This is The Longest Shortest Time from WNYC. I'm Hillary Frank. Last month, we did our very first show on the road. We went to Oakland, and I interviewed the wonderful Roman Mars live on stage. Roman's a friend of mine. We met in Chicago 10 years ago when we were both working for WBEZ. Roman hosts a great podcast about design and architecture called 99% Invisible. He's also the father of eight-year-old twin boys. Each week, Roman gets them to talk about something they're into as part of an ad at the end of his show. Here's one. And as always, this show is made possible by Tiny Letter. Email for people with something to say. My boys Carver and Maslow always have something to say. What do you got to say, boys? My favorite piece of infrastructure is the Golden Gate Bridge. Mine too, because it's red. It's actually called International Orange. I also like orange, but it really looks red. So those are the twins. If you're a fan of 99%, you know their voices well. But you don't know too much about Roman's life with them. Today, I'm so excited to bring you the first in-depth interview with Roman about his family. You'll hear how he used his boys as a weapon against his boss, how his kids determine whether or not he gets dessert, and he reveals the marital conflict that his wife won, hands down. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first live taping of The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Uh, There's something about having a microphone where you kind of get to ask people things that you wouldn't ask them in real life or or that you just didn't. (laughs) And so um, I get a chance tonight to ask Roman some questions that I've never asked him in real life. So welcome, Roman. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have twin boys. How old are they and what are their names? They are eight years old. They are Maslow Rocket Mars and Carver Atomic Mars. (laughs) And how did you come up with their names? (laughs) Um, So I think when um, the boys were in gestation, we didn't have any television channels except for PBS. And so uh, my wife, May, was watching a lot of PBS, and I think she saw a thing on Abraham Maslow, the hierarchy of needs guy, and, uh, and also a, th- a thing about George Washington Carver. And, and, and I, so if you ask me, Carver is named after Raymond Carver, the, the short story author. But if you ask her, and, and if you ask him, because she has power over him, He's named after George Washington Carver. And um, the one thing about Maslow is, uh, typographically, I wanted a Z in the name really badly, so we spell it M-A-Z-L-O rather than M-A-S-L-O-W. Um, and then um, the middle names are just, we wanted them to be like superhero names, but they could choose to use them or not. And so, Wait a second, I have to, you have to back up a second. <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted a Z typographically? Yeah. Like, <laughs> explain that. Well, it just looked neater. Like, I wanted an extra Z in the name. I've always, you know, I do a show about design. I, I think about design a lot. And I just wanted to spell it the way, like, Ben Franklin would spell it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I love Zs and Xs. So for a long time, his name was going to be uh, Ulysses, like Yuli. I wanted to call him Yuli. 
and but we settled on Mazzy. Um, but the other thing I wanted was like Ajax or something X's or Z's. I like X's or Z's. I don't know why. It's just like you name a kid. Like it always killed me. Like if, when a band names an album after the band, like an eponymous album. Like what a waste. You know, like when you have something to name, like name it. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so Maslow is. That's why I see as a Z. <laughs> okay. um, so my daughter is five, and she does not have any siblings. And um, she's been very confused about twins. She, uh, last year, there were some twins in her preschool in a different classroom, and she swore to me that their names were just the twins. <laughs> um, and she, I recently discovered that she thinks that... Um, like all siblings are twins or triplets or quadruplets. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't get the concept that they didn't all come out at the same time. So she was asking me all these questions about twins one day. And so we sat down and I recorded a conversation with her. And so I brought some questions from her <laughs> to you tonight and we're going to listen to Perfect. them. So, um, so we're going to stop after each one and then you can okay. give your answer. So, so let's listen to the first one. What was the question you had about twins before? Because I know someone who has twins, and I wondered if you might want to ask them and we can get you some answers. You had a question about if you wish for them. Um, that, 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 can they, um, can, can you, can you wish for them and they, and they, and they come true? <laughs> well, that was amazing. Um, well, in my wife's case, I guess kind of yes, in the sense that you know she really wanted uh, she really wanted uh, multiple kids. I, w- I wanted one child, um, so she won that argument uh, handily. Um, but yeah, you you can't really wish for them and they come true. But you know, it, you know, if you really want twins. Maybe wait quite a long time before you have kids, and you're very likely, much more likely to have twins. So you can you can make that happen if you wish. <laughs> okay, let's listen to the second one. How do how do you feed baby twins at the same time? Oh, that was hard. So um, you feed them constantly. The thing about twins is they're almost always early because they can't fit. So they're usually weeks early. And so you have to feed them every hour, hour and a half. And um, you, uh, one parent takes one of them. The, hopefully mom produces enough milk so that you can have enough so that I would, we'd get up every hour and a half and I would feed one and, and she would feed the other. And then you, you get up like that. Um, it, it's like going to war. I mean, it's like, it's like <laughs> constant... Um, and that's that's what you do back and forth. And then eventually, one of them had a milk allergy, and we had formula, and it made things a little bit easier. Yeah, but you just. Oof. <laughs> okay, well, let's listen to the third one. How do you play with two babies at a time? If if the if the mother and dad don't, they can't do attention for them. <laughs> Well, the thing is, is one of the great things about twins, at first they don't have, they can't, they don't really play together. They're aware of each other, but they don't really play together. And so um, you can just pile them together and you do your best to play with them. Um, but later on, they're, 
they're with each other. So, like, I, my boys are now eight. And so, whereas every other parent at school is in kind of, like, play date planning hell, I just, like, it's Saturday, just, like, go outside, guys. You know, like, they don't, I don't have to deal with that at all. So, in a way, like, in the beginning, you have to pay tons of attention to them. And then in the end, you get to, like, check out a little bit because they can handle each other. It's built in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Built in play dates. Um, Okay, and let's hear the last one. Um, can 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 people have a hundred babies at a time? <laughs> what else? Can people have infinity babies <laughs> all at the same time? Yes. What do you think? I don't know. How would you feed infinity babies at one time? <laughs> I don't know. How do you think you feed two babies at one time? I, I, I asked that already. <laughs> Silly you. My, my questions are done here. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> that was awesome. You can't have 100. Thank God. <laughs> I remember I was, in the, I was in the grocery store right when I was in the thick of the war, and uh, I, was pushing, I was pushing the babies, and um, it was in Chicago when they were born, and a woman came up to me and said, Oh, twin boys! That's um, that's amazing. I had three, and and I was, I was in a state, so I just said, "Oh, I'm sorry," like that. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was a fucking monster for saying that. Um, so, two is plenty. <laughs> um, I remember when you found out you were having twins, and you seemed pretty freaked out. Can you tell the story of finding out that you were having twins? Yeah, so BZ at the time was in a building um, on McClurg in Chicago, and the first floor was the obstetrician. So I would, I would go to the appointments. I was like super dad because I, w- I was just upstairs. I, I went to every appointment, you know. And so uh, we, we had some complications in the beginning, so she was constantly being, she had fibroids, and so we were kind of monitoring the pregnancy really early. So we got pictures of the boys at like six weeks and at the time they they tell you like yeah there's two but don't get attached to the idea that there's going to be two you know but still when we saw them I like you know my heart sank uh, a little bit because you know I was a public radio producer I think I made $35,000 a year and I was really nervous about our lives and livelihood. And, um, and then, and as my feeling was like this, you just watched my wife just beam, like with a smile across her face. She was so excited about it. And, and again, like, I like, I like interesting things happening, you know, like, regardless if they're hard or not. And so, like, twins are interesting. Like, so it was fun. You know, so I loved that part of it. But as soon as I got up um, stairs, I was... Um, so nervous, and I didn't know what we were going to do. And uh, and Tori Malatia, who's um, who was the, at the time the GM of WBEZ, uh, I was working on some projects for him. And uh, that day, I cornered him on the elevator and got a raise to <laughs> 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 work. And, and you know, like as a public radio producer, you're kind of trained not to like ask for money because of the mission and everything, you know. But I was like, they made me brave because I was so nervous about. Wait, can you walk us through the process of like? <laughs> I saw him that leaving. Yeah. He 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 walks 
that, that's a man who walks with a purpose. You know, so like if he's like walking somewhere, you have to kind of sprint to catch up with him. And he gets on the elevator, and I dive into the elevator, and I was like, um, so uh, I have the, the kids, now there's two, and uh, um, I was wondering if I could get some money for the extra weekend work. And he was like, sure, whatever. I mean, it was like really easy, but like I never would have made that. I never would have made that leap. And it was super easy to do, and since then I've been better at it. Because so what do you mean they made me. you braver? Because it, it, it's like, it's not, just a, it's not about you. And you can displace, you, you can take like these things that you need and, and say it's not, it's not about my wants, it's not about my greed, it's about providing for uh, my family. And so it totally changed. Like to this day, I probably would have never asked for a raise to this day, had I not had children. <laughs> um, it, it just, it was not part of my DNA. And then all of a sudden, like, whatever, that kicked in when I knew I had the, the babies. And when I had the two, it just gave me all that, like, a better story to tell for it, you know? <laughs> so. so you talked about it a little bit, but, but tell me about the first year of their life. Yeah, so I always say this. That the, I love my babies, uh, I still call them my babies, or my boysies, and um, more than anything. Um, but the first year of their life was the worst year of my life. It was, it was so hard. I barely slept. Um, we just, I kind of, it was just like, I felt like, I've said to, to people that, like, having multiples is, like, the worst thing that can happen to you that you wouldn't wish away if you had a wish, you could wish something away. You know, like, it's that hard, but you would never want it to be different. It's the bestest, have... worstest time. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, but the, the whole first year was, like, it, just the constant um, crisis mode is of, like, the, keeping them alive and keeping them fed. And then, you know, they're early, so they had problems. And so, like, Mazzy you know, he had problems digesting milk, and so he would bleed. And it's terrifying to open a diaper and find blood, and, you, and that happened every two hours. And for a while, we thought he had neck, which is like a, like a like rotting of his guts that would have to be extreme surgery and stuff. And so all that stuff just totally traumatized us. Um, and eventually, you know, everything's fine, and they're healthy and stuff. But that first year was an extremely painful year and they um, and it really dislodged us like we were in Chicago I was working at BZ and uh, we had to move twice that first year because one place went condo and the other place and we got a temporary place and we moved to another place and and it was so traumatizing that eventually I was like fuck it I'm going back to the Bay Area I felt like this this was my home I felt safer here I just had to be, be here and so it sort of dislodged us from like it was so traumatizing it we, we couldn't stay where we were. Did it work? Moving? It did. Well, I mean, one of the things that worked was um, was at that year mark, they started sleeping longer. And so it coincided with that moment. It was almost exactly a year old. And, um, and that sort of calmed everything down. Um, and then also, like, I don't know, I was, I was looking for other jobs. I was looking to not get, be in radio anymore because I didn't feel like it was a stable enough job for my family. And... Um, I just felt like there was more hope and opportunity here. 
And in a way that helped. I don't know why, but it did. So um, kids obsess over things, you know, like my daughter's currently in a death obsession. And I wonder, um, when you have twins, do they obsess over different things? Have your, your kids obsessed over different things? They, they Generally, the boys are pretty similar in their tastes. So um, they're currently obsessed with Legos. They love special effects makeup and movies. And so they... Um, and they, their imaginative play is all based on... It isn't like... A story where they're telling you like there's a monster and the monster is like this. They say, "I'm going to make a movie where there's a monster and the monster is like this." Like it's all about that. So they kind of obsess about movies and making culture, and um, and being a scientist. And like today, they're really they're kind of into architecture too, as you could guess. And, and um, you know, it's all about the house they're going to build and stuff like that. So they obsess about that sort of stuff. But one boy is much. Um, he uh, he's a little more. He, he engages more. He talks to you more. And but the other boy, Mazzy, has kind of a rich inner life where he just walks around. <laughs> he he walks around and just just makes sound. And I don't know what's going on in there. I think he's fighting someone or something. But he's kind of obsessed with his other world that he's living in like eventually you'll get like a little snatch of dialogue which will be like i'm more powerful than ever or something like that <laughs> and, and um and so they have these mo- he has his own obsession and how does carver react to stuff you know like, like that? <laughs> carver is like the two of them they they both like are they they have this way of because they've always been next to each other in every way their ability to ignore each other is pretty phenomenal. So he just is like, whatever. You know, he's off walking around. We have this, like, central fireplace, and he just like, walks around it with his pow, pow, you know, thing. And Carver's is like, doesn't care. Doesn't, does, doesn't bother him at all. <laughs> um, so, so fictional twins are notorious for, like, hijinks and trickery. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do, do your twins conspire against you or each other or other people at all? I mean, for the most part, no. They like, they like to think they're clever, but they're entirely guileless in almost every way. So if they were to set up some kind of joke, they would just blow it so badly right away. They just couldn't help but, like, laugh before they got... You know, like, when they try to... Occasionally one will go in and try to hide from the other, like, in our bed. Um... But the kid can't stop laughing underneath the covers. Like, he can't do it. So, like, they have no ability to trick each other whatsoever, as far as I can tell. But so far, I love that. Coming up, Roman talks about the night that Michael Jackson's thriller video transformed him. But first, I want to play you some clips of the meanest tricks you've played on your siblings. Hi, my name is Miriam. I live in rural Northern California. And when we were children... We weren't allowed to have much candy, so it was pretty exciting when some came into the house. And my older sister said that she had some jelly beans to share with me, and I should close my eyes and open my mouth. So I followed her instructions, and what she really did was put a piece of foot skin in my mouth. This is Jonathan in Montclair, New Jersey, and... uh... There is a nine-year difference between me and my little brother, Justin. 
and uh, so when he was about two, I told him that he was a robot, and that my parents made him in the garage, um, and he believed it. I'm Emily Bussey in Berkeley, California. The meanest trick I ever played on my brother, I don't remember what he did to make me so mad, but I knew where he kept his stash of nudie magazines. He was a few years older than me and a teenager already. I went into his closet when he wasn't home, found the stash in a toy box up on the shelf in the closet, took all of the contents out, walked across the street, dumped it in the dumpster in the parking lot, and then left a little paper note at the bottom of the box that was now empty that just said, I'm disappointed in you, mom. This is Brett Baker from Berkeley, California. And the meanest trick I ever played on my sibling was I found out that my CD player that I'd saved up for weeks had a function where if I plugged in my headphones to the microphone jack, that I could hear my voice through the speakers. So I um, turned the speakers full blast and hid under my brother's bed with the headphones in hand, just waiting for him to enter his room. I think I waited for about an hour. And the when he entered his room, I said loudly into the speakers, Marcus, this is God. And my <laughs> my brother's really dramatic and like gullible and he just like freaked out. Hi, my name is Carrie Gilbert. I'm calling from Pleasanton, California. And the meanest trick I ever played on my sibling was back in 1986 when I was 12 and my little sister Amy was 10. Uh, and I took an eighth grade class trip to Washington, D.C. And we went to the FBI building. And this was obviously like a sign of the times because I'm sure they would never do this now, but they did a shooting demonstration for us middle school kids at the FBI building. And the FBI agent um, shot up this target that was shaped in, you know, a man's torso. Um, and he was a really good shot. He went boom, boom, boom and shot it in the heart like five times. And then he um, asked who wanted to keep the target and everybody raised their hand and he picked out some boy and gave him the, the shot up target and everybody else was like, ooh, bummer. And, um, but the FBI agent said, don't worry, if you want your own shot up target, we have this program where, they, where we send out all our spent targets um, to anyone who wants one. So he passed around a list and I put my sister's name and our address on the list. Um, so then like three months later, my sister gets this package in the mail from the FBI and it's this shot up target with all these holes in the heart. And she sees it and immediately starts crying and she's like, what is this? <laughs> these stories all come from our Longest Shortest Time app, which you can download in the iTunes store. Android users, we're thinking of you and we're devising a plan for getting the app to you too. Anyway, we switch up the question in the app every other week. The question we've got up right now is, when has your kid totally misinterpreted something about the way the world works? Just hit talk, record your answer, and your voice may wind up on our next episode. And if you like the app, rate it and write us a review. It'll help more people to find it. Thanks. We're back. The meanest trick I ever played on my little brother, he's six years younger than me, was having him convinced that I had an evil twin named Leslie. 
When Roman and I were backstage before the show, I asked him about the meanest trick he'd ever played on a sibling. And he said he'd never played a mean trick on his sister, ever. But in the middle of the interview, I teased him about it. And then... Wait a minute. Something is coming to me. We lived with another family for a while. There was a boy my age. And um, I, he, for a while, thought I turned into a werewolf at night. And let's just say I didn't disabuse him of this notion. And uh, I remember one night, um, it was the night that the Thriller video premiered on TV. And uh, I squirreled away a, a pair of uh, vampire teeth, you know. And um, so he was in bed, like over here, and I was in there, and I turned around and went, like that. He just shot up, ran out the door, almost out the house. I didn't think it would work that effectively. I felt really bad. <laughs> so, yeah, that did happen. <laughs> nice. Um, so we met up when I was pregnant, um, and we were having some conversation about, like, putting your kids on the internet and I swore to you that I would never put pictures <laughs> <I know. laughs> of my kid on the internet and then, and then I saw you recently and you reminded me of that I had totally forgotten and, um, and you said you were glad that I'd backed off of that a little bit um, but I think it's like it's really hard as a parent to figure out how much of your kids you put out there um, and how do, you, how do you draw the line for yourself of like what you're putting out there and not in general, like, there's not a lot of pictures of their faces. I just did one, like, yesterday. Because they just look so handsome. I just had to show them off. So I put them on Instagram. For the most part, I mean, the reason why I was glad is because I wanted to see pictures of Sasha. And I, that, and I wouldn't have otherwise because we we're not around each other. And so that's the reason why it's nice to have them. But I totally understand why you want to control that. And, uh, and every once in a while I get a little nervous about it, but... Uh, I'm okay with them being out there in public. And they, you know, because of the, their role in the show, and so they're in this ad at the very end, and a lot of people tell me um, that it's their favorite part of the show, which I feel mixed about. Um, but, but because they're, like, part of it now, you know, like, there was a there was a uh, article on BuzzFeed that was like, you know you listen to too many podcasts when kind of thing, um, that you can't wait for what Maslow and Carver have to say was on it. And Carver just, like, if he meets you in person and you say, oh, I know you from the show, he'll go, did you know I was in BuzzFeed? <laughs> <laughs> so they like that role, and their friends listen to it, and their families listen to it. Um, and I, I can give them that. I think that's, I think that's fair. But I, for the most part, I'm not too worried about a lot of the privacy stuff. Do you, do you worry that, like, uh, at some point, they're going to grow up and hear it and just be embarrassed that no, this I'm, is out I'm there? No, I'm hoping for that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's my prerogative as a parent. No, I want it. I, can't. I mean, I love having this record of them because we had this... I did a repeat recently... Um, and I had this clip of Maslow really young, and it made me so happy to hear it again. And so I love having this little record that's not like overwhelming. It's like 10 seconds each of what is on their mind that week. And that made me really, really happy. So um, being a parent kind of means 
being in the constant process of calming another person down, uh, or in your case, two little people. Um, and then after you know days on end of doing that, we need ways of calming ourselves down. And I've heard you say that being at the microphone calms you down. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what you mean? I just... I, I like this. I, I don't know what it is. I, I feel calm talking on a microphone. I feel like... Um, uh, confident and competent and I don't talk that much in normal life and for some reason there's something about that moment there's like I have a tone when I speak on the radio which is a pretty chill tone <laughs> so but it's, it's born out of the fact that I just my, I just my ass just calms down when I'm talking on the microphone I don't know what it is it's like my natural state I really like it when did you discover that? It was a while. It was a, probably about seven or eight years into being in front of a microphone. But after a while, like I, I felt like I was talking to someone, and I knew I don't know who that person is, but it felt natural and calm, and, and I like it a lot. Did you um, did you used to as a kid record yourself into like cassette recorders and stuff? N- not a ton. I I was trying to I, when I made this switch to going into radio, I had. I talked to some of my friends about it, and they said, like, I, I was like, isn't it weird? I'm, you know, I was training to be a scientist. I was doing all these other things. And, and they were like, this is not weird at all. Here's all the things. Like, here's all the mixtapes you made, and here's all the little voices you put in. And, and, and then I remembered that I used to love, um, to this day, my, my favorite type of movies are movies with a lot of dialogue. And so as a kid, I used to um, take a microcassette recorder and record all the dialogue parts to movies and listen to them like radio. And so I was always obsessed with other people's voices. I was never interested in my own voice or how I, you know, like talking. I never imagined myself as a DJ or anything like that. That was all kind of late in life. Um, so you um, are your own boss now, which, which can mean more flexibility in your schedule, <laughs> uh, but can also mean that you're always working. Yeah. What's your work-life balance like? It's pretty dismal. Um, in that way, so like I tend to work a lot. They're um, they go to bed at about eight thirty, and I work after they go to bed a lot. But you know, like that's another thing about them that really helped was they made me a much more efficient worker. I can do so much more in a couple hours than I could when I was, and I don't have that luxury of like fuck inspiration or something. Like <laughs> screw that. I mean, like it's work. You know, like, you just get to work. I don't care if you feel like it or not. It, this is the time to work. And so um, it trained me to be a better worker, to be a dad, for sure. Do you have the thing that a lot of parents talk about of just feeling like you're not doing a good enough job at either? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, but, but in general, like, my kids are, like, extremely happy. They're way happier than I was as a child. So for the most part, I feel like, yeah, we're doing okay. Because they're, like, they're totally excited about life. They love everything. And, and I was so moody and so um, detached and stuff, and they're just engaged in everything. So for the most part, I feel like, like everything's going well. Isn't that interesting how your kids can be so different from you? I can't. I don't know where they came from in that regard. They can't. I mean, they can barely stand to be in another room from us like they just want to be around us all the time and I was just a kid that was like as soon as I could get out 
away from other people. I wanted to be away from other people. I mean, so I was raised by, by a single mother. Um, I, I was not super engaged with my with my mom. I love her, and she's fantastic. But I left home. I mean, I went to school when I was 15. To, I just needed to be out, and she was doing great, you know, by me. But I was... I just was an independent kid. Um, and I felt more t- to this day like I, 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 like my kids are like all over me and I'm all over my kids, like physically. And I don't, sometimes I worry about how that felt to have me not be that type of demonstrative kid that my kids are because I get so much value out of that. My father, who was never in my life, um, uh, I saw him every year. He's a nice person. He was just never really engaged as a father for me. Um, I would see him in the summers uh, for a week or something like that. When the kids were born, I think, I think a little bit about them being boys or a little bit about them just being kids gave, gave him it like he kind of wanted to re, you know, reintegrate into life with me. And uh, part of me was super excited about that. And, uh, and then, um, and I never had ill feelings towards him. He just was absent. I had, he had no effect on me. But when I had boys, my boys, and all of a sudden I was angry at him for the first time. Because I was like, how could you miss this? What, why, how could you do that? I think for me, um, I'm a very different person than my daughter is. I also, I'm also an introvert with an extroverted child. It's interesting. Um, so I, I've taken some things from my mom, uh, and I've also been like some things that she did with me I can't, I can't do with my daughter because it doesn't work. Um, and I, what I'm learning is that the way that a person parents a child isn't necessarily so much about who they are. It's about who they are and who the kid is. And... Um, so there's like you know so many parenting books out there but i think the truth is that like parents all kind of figure out what works with their children like i figured out when she's really like worked up um i've discovered that if i say spin around and by the time you're all the way around i want you to be completely calm (laughs) she it like is the thing that works i'm totally taking that do you do you have any tricks that you've discovered with your kids i mean this is something as a parent of twins you will learn which is it has to be fair. Uh, twins are obsessed with fairness, and so you become obsessed with fairness. And it's gotten to the point now where they're old enough where I'm just like, you have to understand, guys, it's all going to even out eventually. I'm always keeping track. You know what I mean? And so, um, so yeah. Is it a nightmare, like, dividing up desserts and stuff? I mean, you just get good. I mean, you get good at eyeballing halves of things. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, like, if there's... This is, an, this is a weird pattern of behavior so like if there is um if you have like cookies or something if there's an even number i can't have one (laughs) if it's two or four or six because it means it's divided for them forever but if there's an odd number dad gets to eat and so i can i can turn things into an even number but i cannot create an odd number so everything is about fairness and equal and stuff it's just like it's part of your brain Roman Mars. 
If you haven't heard his show, 99% Invisible, you should. It will change the way you see the world around you every day. There's something Roman said in our conversation that's really stuck with me about how different he is from his kids. We want to know how your kids are not like you at all or how you're not at all like your parents. Go to longestshortesttime.com and leave your comment on this episode. That's episode 58. We've got pictures there of Roman's kids and also of me and him on stage cracking up. One of them, he looks like he's about to slap me. That's how much fun we were having. This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. The show is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff, with help from Lily Sullivan. Bill Moss mixed the show. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Paula Schumann, Peter Clowney, and Sam Greenspan. Today's interview was recorded live at Awaken Cafe in Oakland. Thanks so much to the staff there. They were excellent. Jason Henry photographed the event. Thanks also to Vera Kocha in San Francisco, where we held Speed Dating for Mom Friends. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at 3 a.m., but if you can't be bothered at 3 a.m., you can listen at a reasonable hour. Just subscribe to our newsletter. Go to our website, enter your email in the little box there on the homepage, and I'll send you a secret link six hours earlier than the show gets posted. And here at The Longest Shortest Time, Many of our favorite stories come from you, our listeners. We take stories about any struggle in parenthood, in family, really. It can be about you and your kids, you and your parents. We love to hear things that we've never heard before, so surprise us. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. 